Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Remember when eating a vegan diet was the opposite of cool? And vegans were often the butt of jokes? Take this classic line from The Simpsons. I'm a level five vegan. I won't eat anything that casts a shadow. But over the past few years, veganism has gone mainstream. Celebrities like Beyonce and Bill Clinton have talked publicly about the benefits of eating a meat and dairy-free diet. I live on uh, beans, legumes, vegetables, fruit, and it changed my whole metabolism. Here in the Bay Area, vegan eating habits have been popular for a long time. There are vegan caterers who will feed your wedding guests and vegan chefs who will deliver meals right to your door. And just last year, San Francisco came out as the nation's most vegan-friendly city, according to the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA. But lately, as you can imagine, things have been pretty challenging for the Bay Area's vegan businesses. Before coronavirus, happened. Business was fantastic, and that has obviously changed very significantly. Well, you know, I'm just trying to hang in there. This time it's about surviving. This time it's about being able to keep as many people that you can employ and pay the bills. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and on this week's episode of Bay Curious, we're answering a question asked by listener Mishi Ramos, who asked, what is the vegan food scene in the Bay Area like today? We'll take a bite of that and then look at how restaurants in general are faring during coronavirus times. Stick around. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. KQED's Chloe Veltman is here to answer Mishi's question. Hey, Chloe. Hi there, Olivia. So I want to start with the rise of vegan culture in the Bay Area. But before we get going, I got to ask you, Chloe, are you vegan? No, I'm not, Olivia. But as a result of reporting this story for Bay Curious, I'm inching closer towards a plant-based diet. And I'm not alone. Uh, Though vegans only make up about 5 or 6% of the U.S. population, their numbers are growing. And more and more omnivores, like me, are starting to take an interest in vegan foods. 
What's driving that interest? There are a number of factors. Um, For starters, there's the basic perception that eating a plant-based diet is healthy. People talk about how cutting out meat and dairy cleared their skin, upped their energy levels. Oh, and in the case of Bill Clinton, helped them lose weight. And I lost 24 pounds and I got back to basically what I weighed in high school. And then there's the growing public awareness around the meat industry's treatment of animals and its environmental footprint. A recent analysis from the journal Science shows 60% of agriculture's greenhouse gas emissions comes from meat and dairy production. I've also read some recent news headlines about coronavirus outbreaks at meat processing plants. Tonight, some residents of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, feel theirs is a city under siege. This Smithfield pork processing plant, one of the area's largest employers, is now a coronavirus hotspot linked to nearly 900 cases. Right. It's fair to say these recent news stories have made more people question how much meat they should have in their diet. Even though, of course, meat scandals in the past haven't had long-term sticking power and the overwhelming majority of Americans will continue to eat meat. But it is helping that vegan foods have become ubiquitous at grocery stores and restaurants and cafes, especially here in the Bay Area. Now, full disclosure, I am an omnivore myself, but I will admit that I really like some of those fake meat options that are out now. Oh, yeah, Olivia, I'm with you on that. Uh, In fact, given the choice these days, I'll probably order a meatless burger over uh, the original meat variety. A study from the food industry publication Food Dive says the number one factor driving non-vegans to things like meatless burgers is that they're starting to taste less like sawdust and more like, well, meat. In fact, this is the business rationale behind many of the newer vegan eateries in the Bay Area. Like the butcher's son, that's a meat and dairy-free cafe in downtown Berkeley. I ordered their take on a fried chicken and bacon sandwich for lunch recently. Very yum. It's just very good. It's got um, fried chicken that isn't made of chicken, bacon that isn't made of pig. It's hard to believe this is vegan. The Butcher's Son opened early in 2016 and was an immediate hit with vegans and non-vegans alike. Restaurant co-owner Christina Stobing is a vegan herself. Going vegan, there's not a lot of options. Like you can't just go and get a Philly cheesesteak sandwich or you can't go and get a Reuben. And we wanted to provide all those things that we were missing in a restaurant. Christina says business was going so great they were planning to expand. But when the coronavirus pandemic hit, they were forced to shrink, letting go of roughly two thirds of the restaurant's employees. A PPP loan from the federal government has helped tide them over. And we've really had to step back and say, okay, can we stay open this week? Can we stay open next week? Because things are changing. It's not just popular vegan restaurants that now find themselves facing an unpredictable future. Vegan grocery stores are also having a hard time, as I found out on a recent visit to Leona plant-based food market in Oakland's Chinatown. The store's owner, Samuel Wong, gave me a quick tour. What are the the different things in this uh, refrigerator? So this is more like an imitation uh, chicken, an imitation uh, beef, and then this is some uh, dried uh, tofu skin. Samuel says the market has a loyal following, like the meat-abstaining members of the nearby Buddhist temple and folks who drive in from places like Santa Rosa. Samuel's customers include consumers as well as other vegan businesses, such as restaurants, and he says the margins are normally pretty good, but that's changed lately. The business, it dropped a lot. 
The store laid off three of its seven workers and is operating at reduced hours. Samuel says he's had to make some adjustments to survive, like delivering to restaurant clients himself and signing up for a food delivery service to get Leona's products out to individual customers. Like a lot of people, they, they don't want to go out. So I have to sign up for this kind of service, yeah, even though um, they, they charge like 30%. But this isn't just impacting vegan businesses. Things are hard for most food businesses right now, right? Yeah, even at the best of times, the restaurant industry, no matter the cuisine, is a hard game, Olivia. Longtime Bay Area food writer Virginia Miller says the margins are almost always on the thin side, and that's particularly the case for independent businesses and small local chains. If they have any profit at all, usually 10% max is the best most restaurants do. Virginia says between line items like rent, labour and sourcing high-quality produce, the cost of feeding people in the Bay Area is especially high. She says vegan outlets are no different from other kinds of small food businesses. They've all been hit by the pandemic in similar ways and are all trying to figure out how to come back. I've heard predictions of anywhere from 30% to 80% of our restaurants will not reopen. 30 to 80 percent. Wow. Even at the low end, that's a shocking number of restaurant closures. You know, if you're a restaurant owner, how do you figure out whether it's even worth continuing on at this point? There are lots of different things to think about. Laurie Thomas, the executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, says every restaurant has to consider its debt situation, how much risk it can handle and for how long. She says reopening is a process. People think restaurants can turn on a dime. It doesn't work that way. You got to get your employees. You got to pay back your vendors. You got about a week to two weeks of ordering the food and getting everything going again. If they do decide to fully reopen, restaurants are having to come to grips with a bunch of unforeseen factors to do with COVID-19. At Wild Seed, an upscale plant-based restaurant in San Francisco's Cal Hollow neighbourhood, Director of Culinary Alejandro Morgan says it's been tough to entice back workers at a time when many are making more money claiming unemployment benefits than from working their old jobs. And they're staying safer. If I was an employee and I got my job back, then I would have to weigh things, you know, and say, okay, well, do I risk getting sick and getting my family sick for a job that probably won't pay as much as before? Then there's navigating all the new health and safety restrictions, such as limiting the seating capacity to allow for physical distancing. Alejandro says Wildseed has applied for a permit to put in extra outdoor seating, but once that happens, they'll still be operating at around 30% capacity. There's only so long it makes sense to carry on that way, and many Bay Area counties have put reopening plans on hold for indoor dining. Given all the variables, Alejandro says it's hard to predict what it will take to reopen properly. We've we've made plans, but, you know, usually we scratch those plans and restart. Look, there could be something tomorrow that they say, like, you guys got to close back again, you know, and I'm really hoping that's not the case because that would be very devastating. With profits disappearing and things just becoming so unpredictable right now, I imagine restaurants are having to get super creative if they want to survive. What are you seeing out there, Chloe, in terms of new trends and strategies? 
Well, takeout has obviously become a massive thing, even for high-end restaurants that would never have dreamed of boxing up their dishes in the past. And this means adjusting menus because not everything travels well and figuring out more efficient ways to work in the kitchen so restaurants can meet the demand for takeout as well as serve the customers they have on site. With people preferring to eat at home, delivery services like DoorDash and Grubhub are also becoming a must for restaurants, even though I heard several owners complain about the high fees. And then there are the new advances in technology, which allow diners to do things like order meals from their tables using their phones. Wild Seeds' Alejandro Morgan says these systems appeal to restaurants because they reduce labour costs. And maybe for the guests too, right, to feel comfortable because they want to limit the amount of interaction they have with another person at this time. But he's wary of going with the technology because he says human interaction is still a key part of good hospitality. One of the big problems with this whole COVID-19 era is that we are going to lose a lot of human elements to everything that we do. I have passion for hospitality and that's something that is going to hurt. Turns out this human element is really important. I got to know this one vegan business, the presumptuous Pepita, that relies entirely on building long-term one-on-one relationships with their customers. And it seems to be flourishing in spite of the pandemic. Hi, Victoria. Hi. How are you? Good. Good. You? Thank you so much. Lifesaver. Oh. Oh, I love your shirt. <laughs> Thank you. I caught up with the force behind the presumptuous Pepita, personal vegan chef Victoria Aguilar, as they were delivering lunch to my neighbour Mary, who happens to be vegan. Um, today I brought Mary a Caesar salad with buffalo cauliflower and then an eggplant and chickpea and tomato stew. Victoria says they launched the presumptuous Pepita last December after tiring of the fixed hours and limited menus that usually come with restaurant work. I like the intimacy of being able to cook for folks and then to bring it to them, especially during this time when folks really can't see many people. And so we've already built relationships. Victoria is the presumptuous Pepita's one and only employee. So their overhead is low. And the chef says business has been booming since the stay at home orders went into place. I'm making a good amount of money, so I'm profiting. I'm profiting more than I thought I would. Victoria is proud of the fact that small niche businesses like the presumptuous Pepita are so focused on building community, even in the middle of a global pandemic. During the recent Black Lives Matter protests, Victoria delivered free meals to protesters. A lot of small businesses like myself and other vegan small businesses who are doing the work of like supporting protesters who are on the front lines and, and just being sure that we're feeding compassionately and and giving the best that we can right now. So I'm a consumer. I need to eat. What are some things that I can do to help our local restaurants bounce back? Well, there's a bunch of things, Olivia. Number one, order takeout directly from restaurants if you can. Delivery services like Grubhub and DoorDash take a big cut from every order, sometimes around a third. But ordering directly puts more money in restaurants' coffers. Depending on your comfort level and what regulations allow, why not try out some of the lovely sidewalk and patio dining options? Follow all of the health and safety guidelines, like wearing a mask as much as you can and observing the physical distancing rules. Be patient because things are constantly changing. Oh, and lastly, tip well. All right. Well, those are some great tips, Chloe. Thanks so much for bringing us today's story. 
It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks to Machigan and question asker Michi Ramos for their insights into the plant-based food industry. If you, like me, are spending way more time at home than you're used to, you're probably out of things to do. That's why the Bay Curious team created a very curious activity book. It's a free, downloadable, print-at-home book that includes games, puzzles, a scavenger hunt, activities for people of all ages. Go get it now at kqed.org slash activity book. We'll put a link in the show notes too. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.